Now, have you ever had the feeling of déjà vu? That feeling that you've seen something or that you've heard something uh, before, but you're not sure quite where you've heard it. I remember the strangest one I had was on beach missions a few years ago. I was in mid-Wales and uh, was on a team outing. We were going down this big sort of valley. It's sort of like the one in Bramhope, uh, where the Rothwells live. You sort of zigzag down the... Uh, the side of this, uh, this steep cliff almost space, you know, going, going all the way down. And I was driving down and I said to the other people in the car who were on the outing that, do you know, I'm sure at the bottom of this hill there's a pub called the Ship Inn. Now this was in the middle of mid-Wales and it was this random bay next to the, the main sort of bay that we'd, we'd go to. And I just couldn't, I, I'm sure that I've been here before. And sure enough, we got to the bottom of the hill and there was the Ship Inn uh, right there. Sounds spooky. Turns out, actually, I'd been there on holiday and forgotten uh, a few years before. We just sort of stayed on the, the next uh, hill over uh, with family. But as I was preparing this week, I got another sort of feeling of deja vu. Because it's talking about loving one another. That's the commandment that it's talking about. Loving our brother. And I was thinking, that sounds an awful lot like what we were talking about in Romans a few weeks ago. And sure enough, in Romans 12, verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. And I thought, oh no, was it Romans 13, verse 8? Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. And then I thought, oh no, was it the Sermon on the Mount that we did right at the beginning of lockdown, Matthew 7, 12? So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And we talked then about how Jesus is teaching us to love one another. Well, if you don't have deja vu with those things, you soon will do. Because John is going to mention this a lot in his letter. In this short book, he mentions this command in one form or another 18 times. And on top of that, he mentions it three times in John's Gospel and another two times in uh, 2 John. So, repeating a command, sorry, one time in 2 John, repeating a command 22 times in just a short space really means that John wants us to get our head around what he's saying. Allegedly, John in his latter years in Ephesus would be sort of put to the front of the church, be put sort of behind, I don't think they had a pulpit probably in those days, but sort of put to the front. And all he would say is, little children, love one another. And then he'd sort of go and sit back down again and they'd wheel him out next week and that's what he would say. There's that feeling of deja vu. He wants to encourage us to do this. He really sees this as something important. So what does he tell us about this love that we're to have for one another? Well, firstly, he tells us it's a new old command. Let me read to you verses 7 and 8 again. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Love one another is not a new commandment. It's something that they've had from the beginning. Some people have suggested that when John passed on the gospel to people, the first thing that he told them was that this was the commandment they were to do. This was what the Christian life was for them, to love their brother. Now that's possible, isn't it? When I became a Christian, I remember being given a booklet called Beginning as a Christian, and it sort of took you through all these things. There are other good ones, like just for starters and things like that. But they take you through the basics, you know, how to pray, 
uh, how to have a quiet time, how to read your Bible, how to fight sin. But for John, this was the beginning of the Christian. This was the just for starters, love one another. That's what's fundamental for John's being a Christian. Love one another. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the word that they have heard. But equally, it is older. It is, in fact, really the basis and the summing up of the Old Testament law, according to Jesus and Paul. So if it's been around all that time, how is it new? Well, John tells us it's new because it's been seen. It's been lived. It's been completed in the life of Christ. He lived it perfectly. That's why John can write in 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. He says, if you want to see love, look at what Jesus did. And then he follows it, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So as Jesus did... So we are to do. That's why Jesus, when he gives this command, says, love as I have loved. That's the new part. It's now true in him and it's true in us. Real in him, real in us. Why? Well, verse 8. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The light of the world has come into the world. The true light shone 2,000 years ago. The people who are dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And now, says John, that light continues to shine through his people, through you and through me. The Old Testament, you see, gave the command, but not the capacity to obey. The Old Testament says shine. But now in the New Testament, the light is provided for us by Jesus. He indwells us by his Holy Spirit and empowers us to love one another. So the commandment is now just not just true in him, but it's true in us. The love that Jesus showed us now lives in us and we show it to one another. Jesus has come into the world. It's like the bright morning star, the first time, uh, the first sign of the dawn that is coming. And soon he'll come as the son of righteousness. The darkness is passing away says John. The true light is shining as believers love one another as Jesus loved that, the old new commandment. So that's the first thing that he tells us, that love is a new old commandment. But it's also a test of genuineness. That's the second thing he shows us. Love is a test of genuineness. Have a look at verses 9 to 11. I'll read them to you again. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Love here is a test of genuineness. We've said in 1 John that there are these tests that John gives us. He wants to Give us something so that we can see whether we're really in fellowship with him, whether we're real, genuine believers. And this is what many have called the love test or the the social test. In many ways, it's just a version or at least a part of the one that we saw last week, uh, which was the moral test. 
There's the repeated language of living in the light and no longer walking in darkness, which we've already seen in John. And indeed, this love for our brothers here is referred to as a commandment. Last time he was talking about keeping the commandments. So he said, and by this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And John, as he sort of circles round, doing his sort of dance with all these different ideas... When he gets to the top of his his staircase, if you like, his spiral staircase, he says this about the command. This is the commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. But that's still to come. It was really tempting this week to virtually preach the whole letter of John, because he he just comes back to these same ideas again and again. But loving our fellow Christians is such an important part of how we live that it gets its own test, so to speak. That's not to say, by the way, as it talks about loving brothers, that we're not to love those outside the church, but that this is a particular sign, that we're to love one another in a particular way. It's helpful to think of it like Paul writes in Galatians 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those in the household of faith. So we're to love everyone, but especially to love one another. For now, though, we need to think, though, what John means by love and hate, because they're pretty strong words, aren't they? He's saying if we love our brothers and sisters, it's a sign that we're in, that we're genuine believers. If we hate our brothers and sisters, it's a sign that we're out. Whatever else we say, we're not in the kingdom, we're not part of God's people. Now, there's a big debate going on at the moment, isn't there, about self-identification, the fact that you can say things and, and say that they're true. I'm not going to get into it right now, don't worry. But whatever you think on the issue, being a Christian is not about self-identification. It's not just about what you say. You can't just declare yourself to be something, um, however, and because you believe it strongly, that's what you are. What John is saying is actually, if you are something, it will show itself in your actions. So declaring yourself to be a surgeon means nothing if you can't actually perform surgery. In fact, if you declare yourself a surgeon and you're not, please don't perform surgery, because it's not safe, is it? Declaring yourself to be a member of the England football team doesn't mean anything, unless you can get to some significant position and then lose on penalties. That's just how it goes. But saying you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. And it means nothing if you hate your brothers and sisters, your fellow Christians. So what does it mean to love or hate your brothers? Because the stakes are high there, aren't they? The problem is when we read this, we tend to make love smaller and hate bigger. Do you know what I mean? It says love, but actually it doesn't mean love. It means less than that. It's love minus. It's, It's not quite that high. And then we read hate and we say, well, it says hate. And that's right. Yeah, it means hate, detest, abhor. It's sort of hate plus. We make it bigger so that we can pass the test. We make it easier to obey. A clue that we're not really right to do that is when we come to a passage like Luke 14, 26. You'll see it on the back of your notice sheets. Luke 14, 26. It says, this is Jesus speaking, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And suddenly when we're preaching that passage, we say, well, it says hate, but it doesn't really mean hate. It means less than that. 
But there needs to be some consistency, doesn't there? It's the same word, but it's a clue that John might not be using it quite the way we understand it. If we think of hate as being despising, bad-mouthing, mistreating, being nasty to someone, then we've got a problem. Because Jesus tells us that we must treat our father and mother that way. So it can't be what it is at, at its heart. It might involve that point, but it can't be what it really means at heart. I think bearing in mind what we're going to see in the rest of the letter and what we see elsewhere in scriptures, the best way to think of it is this way. To hate our brother is to not treat them as a brother. To hate our brother is to not treat them as a brother. That's really what Jesus has in mind in Luke 14. He's not saying despise your family, heaven forbid. He's saying you have a new priority now. There's something else that comes in first place now instead of your family. You cannot treat your family as before because I am the new priority. It's like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.29. Let those who have wives live as though they have none. He's not saying mistreat your wife. He's not saying neglect your wife. He's saying now that there's a new priority. You cannot treat them as you did before. They're no longer your number one. So then we come back to hating our brother and sister. We hate them when we do not treat them as a brother or sister. When they're not a priority in our lives. You see, it's fascinating, isn't it? If you think about how we think about becoming a Christian. We talk about giving our lives to Jesus. What does Jesus say? What does the Bible say? 1 John 3.16 By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for him. No, for all the brothers, for each other. He's saying actually now we're to treat one another as brothers and sisters. We're to lay down our lives for one another. We're to treat one another as a priority. So if you hate your brother, says Jesus, if you're not doing that, you're blind. You're in darkness. You see, we bought the lie that Gandhi peddled. Lots of good things about Gandhi, don't get me wrong. But this is what he said. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Now, we know what he's saying there, don't we? Some terrible things have been done in the name of Christ over the past 2,000 years. But sometimes we hear Christians talking like this today, don't we? About each other. You know, I, I like Jesus, but I just don't like the church. Or, you know, I've, I've heard more recently, you know, I love online church because it's just me and God. Yeah? I don't have to bother with all those Christians. Or I've heard people in the past say, I go to a big church so I can be anonymous. I don't have to get to know anyone. Great. But it's not, is it? Equally, I've been to churches where there's the after church sprint. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, you, you get to the last hymn, you know, last note, and there's a sort of rush for the door. Must get to the, the door before the person who's going to say goodbye so I don't have to speak to anybody. I've even been at churches where it starts before the end of the last hymn. It's like, last verse of the hymn, right to the door. But how is it loving if you're going out of your way to avoid your brothers and sisters? How is it loving if we're actually trying deliberately to get away from them? Now, I know that some of us find social stuff hard... But church means gathering. That's what the word means. 
family gathering we said a few weeks ago, didn't we, when we were talking about what the church is like. You can't have church between you and God. That's not church. Because church is a gathering. You can't love brothers and sisters you don't know. That's not some sort of clever get out. You know, well, I don't know any other Christians, so I don't have to love them. But really, that's just an expression of what this passage calls hate. That not treating them as brothers and sisters. You see, the church part of church, the gathering part of church, is not some sort of opt-in, opt-out thing. John says it's an integral part of being a Christian. Not the structures or the forms or liturgy or any of that stuff, but the people. You can't be a Christian without other people. Think about that for a second. You can't be a Christian without other people because a Christian must actively love their brothers and sisters. Now you're all thinking, oh, but what if I was on a desert island? And Well, yeah, but we're not on a desert island, are we? Do we treat the people around us, sat around us this morning, or uh, if you're watching at home, you know, the, the Christians that you know, do we treat them as brothers and sisters? Because if we're not, we're stumbling, says John. There's a danger that we're in the darkness. And if you're thinking, well, I don't know the people around me, well, that would be a good place to start, wouldn't it, this morning? I know there are some folk here who are fairly new to us as, as a church, and it's wonderful to love the preaching, isn't it? But the command here is not to love the preaching, but to love people, which is a lot harder, isn't it? You actually have to get to know one another. We're to treat one another as brothers and sisters, to love them as we would our siblings, or more how we would like our siblings to treat us. You know, that other get-out clause. Well, this is how I treat my brothers and sisters. I don't ring them, I don't call them, I don't really know them very well. But if we put it together with what Jesus said about treating others as you would like to be treated, we should treat them as we would like to be treated as a brother or sister. We should love them in all the ways that we can. And if you don't know what that looks like, you say, well, I've never had that sort of relationship. Well, look at how Jesus treated people. Because Jesus showed that love in him, we see it in reality, don't we? But John says this is the test. Do we love our brothers and sisters? Do we treat them as family? Because that's what they are in Christ. What would that look like in my context? What will it look like this week to treat other Christians as family? What will it look like in the weeks to come as the restrictions start lifting and we need to start thinking about those sorts of things? How can we love one another? How can we treat one another as family? So that's our second point. Love is a test of genuineness. And then finally, love is across the whole church. Have a look at verses 12 to 14. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. John drops in a a bit of a poem here at the end. Emo was a fisherman, but he must have been one of those arty types. He's always into sort of like, you know, poems and, and stuff like that. 
But here we have a poem about the people he is writing to and where they stand in Christ. How their ages and stages may be different, but how they function together as a family or as a body, as we were hearing earlier. Little children is probably a catch-all term for all believers. He refers to the whole church in that way several times in the letter. Fathers probably refers to older believers, older in the faith. Young men, those younger in the faith. He wants to show us how we fit together in the family of faith. He wants to show us uh, what it means to be part of the church. Now, apologies to John, who was writing this, but I'm going to try and untangle his poem. I know that's not what you're supposed to do with poems, are you? You're supposed to sort of leave it all poetic. But I want us to get some, some points out of this to, to help us understand who we are and what it means to be believers and part of church. The first thing we see is that we're forgiven for his name's sake. And this is for all of us, isn't it? Forgiven for his name's sake. Not forgiven for being good, not forgiven for being religious, but we're forgiven for his name's sake. It's not something that we've done, but that he has done. He being Jesus. Fundamental to our identity as Christians, fundamental to our identity as church, is that we're forgiven. Now that implies, doesn't it, that we've done something wrong. Because a Christian is not about being a perfect person, but about being a forgiven sinner, isn't it? We've been seeing that as the weeks go on. If we say that when without sin, we deceive ourselves. Actually, we're forgiven people. And John says that's something all believers share. Laid in parallel to that is knowing the Father. If we are little children, it's a reminder that we share one Father. And not only share him, but know him. You see, there were false teachers around in those days, and they claimed that Christianity was all about knowing. Knowing this, knowing that. Knowing secret knowledge that Jesus had left his disciples, or, or knowing hidden knowledge that had only been revealed to a few. But John here says, no, you've got it wrong. It is about knowing, but it's not about knowing secrets. It's about knowing a person, God. We know the Father. How do we know the Father? Through the Son, the one who is from the beginning in verses 13 and 14. We know God the Father through the Son. You've seen me, you've seen the Father, says Jesus. Now I think he's talking to the older ones here, because a relationship takes time, doesn't it? Hopefully we know Jesus better now than when we first believed. It's something that grows. It's something they can share with the younger ones, something they can model. So the fathers know the father through the son. But there is also the younger ones. Now what's emphasised with the younger ones is their youthly vigour. And this is how I've got a bit of a clue that I'm probably now one of the older ones. (laughs) Because uh, he talks about their strength. He says they're strong. They've overcome the evil one. They've been engaged in the battle. The victory won by Jesus, whose word dwells in them. Probably a reference to the Holy Spirit, if you take 1 John as a whole. They've been engaged in a spiritual battle with the Spirit's strength. Through Christ, they have overcome. So it's telling us that part of our identity is that we're in a battle. We fight sin, we overcome temptation. Not perfectly, again, as we've seen in other weeks. But as a general trend, this is what we do. And that is how... We join in with the family, taking part as the younger ones through that youthly vigour, fighting sin. So why is John telling us all this? 
Why the poetic interlude? Is it just that he really likes poetry? Well, there's no commands in there. There's no compulsion here. It's not be forgiven, know the Father, overcome. No, he's writing to them because they have already been forgiven. They already know. They've already overcome. He's writing to them because they are in fellowship with him. They share these things as a family, as children of God, young and old, in the faith. So it's written to them as an encouragement. He's saying, this is what we share. I'm part of this same family. If we pass the test, says John, if we love our brother, be encouraged. You're part of a family, a forgiven family. A family of forgiven people who know God and who have overcome the evil one. How about that for a definition of church? A family of forgiven people who know God and have overcome the evil one. And of course, centred around Christ, who showed us how to love one another. So brothers and sisters, this week, love one another. Because it's the new old command given to us by Jesus, he's equipped us to do it. Because it's proof of our genuineness, or lack of genuineness. And do it across the whole church family, young and old. And then next week, do the same. And the week after, do the same. And the week after do the same. And if it feels like deja vu, well it's fine because the command to love goes on. Let's pray. Father God, we pray this week you would help us to love one another. Father, pray that you'd help us to treat one another as we would like to be treated as family. Father, we pray overcome our shyness, overcome our, uh, our hesitations, our reservations. Father, help us to love one another genuinely from the heart and show that in our actions. And we ask it in Jesus' name.